and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons. And the Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malchishua, Saul's sons. The battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him, and he was severely wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword, thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and amuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. When his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul, his three sons, and his sons were dead. They forsook the city that they found Saul, and the Philistines came on and dwelt out in Gilboa. So when the Philistines came up to strip the slain, and sent word to the wall of Bethshah. And when the inhabitants of Jabez Gilead heard that the valiant men arose and traveled all night, and they took their bones and buried them all the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshah. And they came to Jabez and burned the story of Saul, the final days of Saul. And in the distance you'll see a, a tell or a hill. Jerusalem, and the our guide, uh, 
Jacob, this Roman city, totally covered over by sand. The way they came to find it was people were finding pieces of marble and they would take them and put them in their patio from the little city, little village. And uh, uh, one guy was walking trying to find a nice piece of marble for his barbecue pit. And uh, he found this piece of stone. He kicked it, broke his toe, because it was the top of the theater that I'll show you in a moment. And all of the rest of it is underneath the ground. All these columns, all of these uh, all of these columns of the city uh, it was a Roman city, it had an enclosed shopping mall. It had public running water and public baths. It had a sewer system. It was a covered mall walkway down the city streets. And uh, just unbelievable. And all the stuff imported from Italy. They knew how to do it big. And I'll show you when we do the overview drone footage, you'll see the, the massive... And you say, well, how did they find it? Well, they discovered when they started to dig that there was this whole theater underneath there and they unearthed and have been continuing to unearth this entire city it had been hit by an earthquake they found that all the pillars fell exactly in line and uh, there was only one skeleton found in this massive Roman city. And he was underneath a pillar, underneath a column, <coughs> clutching a bag of gold. Really? And the archaeologists believe that there were warning tremors of the approaching massive earthquake that toppled the whole thing. These massive uh, stone pillars some of them are as big around as this room. The temple to Zeus, the pillars are this big around and 40 feet tall. They found them cracked in half and laid down. So archaeologists believe there were some warning shocks before the big one hit. And they, they, they made this story to go along with what they knew. Everybody evacu evacuated the city. But one fellow remembered, I better go back and get my gold. <clears throat> and he was the only one clutching a bag of gold when the big one hit. Whoa. Okay, let me, let me show you the drone footage. In the distance you'll see the tell or the mound of ancient Beit Shan where at the doors of that city uh, Saul's and his son's bodies were beheaded and they were tacked to the walls. Uh, I don't always go up but sometimes I'll go up and we'll get people to go up to the top. Did anybody go up to the top 
with me the year we went, when you went with me? Not Linda, no. But it, it's a phenomenal view from up there, and you'll get a picture of it from this drone footage. Uh,
looks a lot like Pompeii. But this is Pompeii, it looks a lot like that. There's our drone! <laughs> okay. Any questions about Beit Shan or Skitopolis? We'll get back and so you get a, a mental picture of them when we're telling the story a little bit later. of it. Oh, at the base. And I'll explain why there's nothing up there. Okay. In a moment. Okay. okay. Final days of King Saul at Mount Gilboa. So here we are in the middle of the battle. Saul and his men are trying to hold off the forces of the Philistines at Mount Gilboa. Thousands of arrows go into the air and he is mortally wounded. His sons are killed. <coughs> John and the others, Benedict, all of them are killed. And many thousands of the uh, Israeli troops. And so what does Saul, King Saul, ask his armor bearer to do? Kill him. Don't let me fall into the hands. They'll torture me. They'll make a public spectacle. He said, and he said, I, I can't do it. And so what did Saul do? We've talked about that, that type of thing before, where the concept of falling on one sword it was a common practice. You remember the the jailer, the Philippian jailer, was going to fall on his sword. He was going to kill himself. What they would do, they would find a, a rock or they would find a, an abutment and they would place the sword and then lean on it until, so it would go up through the heart and kill them. And they would just let their weight fall upon it to kill them. Yeah. So... Question about the ethics surrounding that. Mm -hmm. um, suppose that is suicide. Um, is there any moral justification for that? Like, you know, I know a lot of military people, at least back in the day, they would carry around those little pills. Mm -hmm. So they would take them if they were captured, they were going to be tortured. Yeah. How do we as Christians look upon that, you know? Well, se several different ways to, to examine it. The, the fact is that Saul was right. What would have happened to him would have been a disgrace and a mockery that they would, you know, go throughout and carry him around and torture him until he died. Um, it was not so much suicide as it was not giving them the victory. Uh, a very similar, yeah. Well, he fatally wounded to begin with. I mean, yeah, he was severely wounded. It says so. And uh, yeah. so he couldn't. He couldn't run. He couldn't fight. He couldn't do anything. Uh, 
concept that we found at Masada. Okay? Now at Masada, the Bible does not advocate uh, suicide or that type of thing. The people at Masada, they were surrounded. The next day, the Roman legion is going to break through and is going to take all their women and children that are up there and going to do unspeakable things to them. And so they cast lots and decided that they would just die rather than become a poster child for for the Roman legions. And so what it, what happened was rather than their taking their lives, rather than it be a a bad thing necessarily, it actually gave a rallying cry for the Israelis to stand against Rome. You look another similar situation. Uh, it was suicide at the Alamo. Right. There was no way they were going to win. And uh, so the, the moral indicator there, it's not, well, I, I'm, I'm depressed, I'm discouraged, I'm going to take my own life. That's not at the base of, of Saul's decision. So it would be similar to, defin but, but on definition, based on definition, it's, it's considered suicide if you're taking your own life, but it would be similar to that when they have a, a woman who's pregnant and, um, and the, the, the child is, it's either the woman or the child. One of, mm -hmm. Either they're both going to die or one's going to die. Yeah. So technically you are taking the life of an innocent human being, yeah. but at that point it's not the same thing as your fortune or It, it, it is not your desire gotcha. to do that. It is... Uh, intent has a lot to do yeah, with Yeah, intent, that. motivation, intent... And also the the response. The uh, David viewed not Saul killing himself, but ultimately the Philistines killed Saul. You know, that's how he viewed it. And uh, I think as as I read through those those type of things, his desire was not to die. His desire was not to become a pawn in the hands of his enemies. Uh, in the same way that you saw Samson. Did Samson commit suicide? No. Yes, he did. Technically, he did. Samson asked to be placed in between the two pillars, the two main pillars of the Philistine uh, uh, gathering house, their temple of Dagon, to put be put between there. And he asked the Lord for strength, and it meant his death. But he he was able to eliminate more Philistines in that one act than in all of his other conquests. It says. Yeah, I can think of all kinds of now that you've brought that up. I can think of all kinds of instances where somebody 
intentionally will allow themselves to die, but for a greater good. You know, if I run into a fire, yeah. and I know I'm going to die, yeah. uh, but my intention is to save someone. Right. right? Yeah, it, it, is not, it is not your intention to uh, be fricasseed, but for a greater good for, a, uh, for someone else. Oh, don't. What? Easy don't fall on your sword, Jim. He's swinging that around. Yeah. Like a, or, or, <laughs> I'm eating a clay up. He killed my father for falling on his sword. Yeah. So the you know, soldier no. jumping on a grenade. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. To save his you know, uh, you look at, at uh, individuals who uh, was it suicide when the when the person uh, saw a grenade go into the foxhole and he threw himself on top of it to save the life of his comrades. Or the flight in Pennsylvania, the plane crash. Yeah. I think that the people. Yeah, when the the people tried to overcome. Uh, the the uh, terrorists. So it uh, a lot is intent, motivation, uh, results. I don't know if that answers your question. No, that's not, that was good. Yeah. What about Kamikaze? Okay. Well, they weren't Christian. <laughs> 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 they they they. Uh, they had a funeral service before they left. They were called the Divine Wind, and they were they they, uh, they were Christians. I was thinking as far as giving their life for a country or whatever. Well, people give their life for this country, actually. Do any, anybody remember Patton, the movie Patton? Yeah. If you could get by all the 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 verbalizations. Uh, he stands in front of the American flag and he says, "I don't want. We don't want anybody to die for this country. We want them to die for this country. We want you to live. If you die, they win." <laughs> but uh, so when we look at it in that standpoint, the. Uh, uh, the intent and the ramifications of it are different than uh, Saul wasn't depressed. He, he wasn't, you know, uh, it was not his ultimate desire, but he didn't want to be used as a pawn in the hands of the the Philistines, and so he he fell on his sword, and he wanted his armor bearer to do it. And he said, no, I don't think I can do that. But then after he did, then the armor bearer said, well, I guess I won. Went in wrong. Or went in Gilbo. Went in Gilbo. Let's move along. So you have them wounded by the archers. I was trying to get a video clip. There are a number of, of, uh, uh, they call them sword and sandal movies, uh, from uh, biblical epics and Greek and Roman, but there was one in uh, in Troy, but I couldn't get the video clip to, to download, and it shows the archers pulling back and just thousands 
of arrows coming down. Now, when when uh, huh? uh, the Roman legions, one of the things they used their their shields for was cover against the archers. When stones were being leveled at them, and the archers were because it wasn't just I shot an arrow into the air. It, no, it was thousands of arrows. It's like a Gatling gun of its day. A machine gun. It's not just one arrow going on the top of Mount Gilboa. Thousands of arrows going up. And Saul is mortally wounded. His three sons are killed. And what does the Israeli army, the rest of it, do? They take off and run. Their leaders gone. All of their leaders. There is no next in line. Uh, they're gone. And so what do the Philistines do when they're going through collecting spoil off of the defeated Israelis? Well, they found Saul with his sons, recognized him, and cut his head off. What they do with his army? But what they do? They hung it. Put it in their in their. They put it in the temple. Yeah. One of their temples of their false gods. Thank you, thank you, Jim. Don't. You might consider falling on the sword, Jim. I I don't know. But so they took the headless bodies of Saul, Jonathan, Benadab, and I can't even begin to pronounce the third son. Uh, and they impaled it on the walls of Bethshah. So, you saw how tall Bethshah was. It was a so that they could fight from up there. So the walls of that city would be visible for miles. You saw the extent of the lay of the land. For miles and miles and miles, everyone could see the dead bodies of King Saul and his three sons. They're not able to mourn. Israelis are not able to mourn the loss of their king. You remember the year that King Uzziah died, you know, the, those kind of mournings for a period of time. No, they had been conquered and their leaders were on display, headless, impaled to the walls, the, the gates of the city. And uh, look at verse uh, chapter 31, verse 11 and following. Now when the inhabitants of Jabez Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and traveled all night. They're from way down in the south. You remember them from <coughs> chapter 11, I believe it was. Uh, they traveled all night 
and went up and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan and came to Jabez, took them back home. An all night journey and burned them there so that they could not be desecrated. Yeah. Who are these people? They're, they're not Israelites, right? Well, they're the people of Jabez Gilead that we read about earlier in 1 Samuel. You remember when the Amorites were attacking the people of Israel, Saul had just become king. It was like his first month in office. And the Amorites, I believe it was the Amorites, came against the city of Jabeth Gilead in the south. And they said, we will spare you but if we spare you, you have to pluck out your right eye. Every man in Jabeth Gilead has to pluck out your right eye as a covenant between them and the Amorites. And they cried out to the new king who didn't even have an army yet. And Saul gathered up people with sickles and scythes and, and battle axes and whatever. There was a, you remember that who had swords in his initial days? Him and his son. The only one has, everybody else is fighting with sticks and stones. And he took that ragtag army down and defeated the Ammonites. And at that point, there was such respect and honor from the people of Jabez Gilead that a day's journey, a night's journey away, they heard of the death of King Saul. And they didn't care that the Philistines were there. They just didn't care. They, were, they wanted to honor the one who had saved their lives. Well, what a difference a few chapters makes mm. in the story of King Saul. And that's where we want to wind up today on that part of it. Uh, he made such an impression. Every one of those men of Jabez Gilead would not be able to uh, forget what he saved them from. Every man, woman, and child was going to have their right eye plucked out publicly. Wasn't that a military uh, thing as well? Can they couldn't sight. They couldn't sight an arrow. That's right. Could not sight an arrow. Because the people that are left sighted are a minuscule proportion of those that sight with their right eye. So, uh, you know, they would have been basically uh, a waste of time army. But what does that tell you about the people, the men, the valiant men of Jabeth Gilead and their respect for King Saul? What does that tell you? They were valiant. Thank you, Tom. 
Where's my sword? Oh. <laughs> we moved from the ballot to the sword? That's a good job. Dang, I'm going to behave now. Which is that yeah. Oh, oh, oh. What did they overcome to do what they did? They had a long way to travel. Had a long way to travel at night. You don't travel at night in those days. That's not something you do. And uh, what else is in? I'm assuming. Them? I'm assuming those bodies just weren't on there and left to just hang there. I mean, this spoiled the war. I'm sure they were. Guarded at some point uh, by some people, so obviously they're going to have to overcome them as well. And it says that in the scripture before that, that the Philistines took occupancy of the cities that they had conquered. So they're there. The forces of the Philistines who have just wiped out the Israeli army, they're still there. But the men of Jabeth Gilead said, No. It's like a cloak and dagger kind of mission. We're good. They're the they're the guerrilla warfare. They're the seals going in. They're the Delta Force, and they're going in by night. And I can't imagine it would be an easy task. What else did they do besides go up and unimpale them? Well, they burned the bodies. But before they did that, what did they do? Well, they took them. They took them back, the whole journey back, to Jabeth Gilead. Mm-hmm. Carrying the, the corpses, the beheaded corpses of Saul and his three sons. And they make it all the way back. And they burn the body so that they, and, and bury the, the bones so that no one can desecrate and make a mockery of Saul and his sons. Wow. I don't know about you, I'm impressed with yeah. these, these people. That even, they didn't have to do that. Nobody was making them do that. But such great respect for what he had done for them before. They wanted to pay tribute. Even in his death. So, the men of Jabeth Gilead. Uh, turning your Bibles back to First uh, Samuel 11. And you can read the story. I'm not going to read it out loud for you. That's where the story is about Saul in the early stages of his kingdom with only two swords to his name mounts up an army and defeats a full-time <clears throat> registered army and saves the people of Jabeth Gilead. And they never forgot what had been done for them. That's a good place for us to stop for just a moment and see from chapter 11 to chapter 31 the difference that is from the Saul of chapter 11 to the Saul of 
chapter 31. Let's think back a little bit as we uh, think about King Saul. He started off so well. What are some of the positives and pluses of, of Saul, King Saul? Do you come from a big, powerful political family? Is that how he <coughs> got in? No. He was in the smallest tribe, tribe of Benjamin, and he was the smallest household in that small tribe. But God picked him. Remember what his physical stature was? Taller than anybody else. Head and shoulders taller than everybody else in the area. And he was, you remember, he was reluctant to become king? He was hiding among the baggage. Any of you does this bring anything back at all? He was hiding among the baggage rather than have a celebration of him being king. He wanted to be behind the scenes, he didn't feel worthy. I'm just, you know, I've got the look. I'm, I'm a small, me and the, me and my dad. We, that's all we got, you know. And, and uh, uh, he uh, he had just most recently been on donkey duty. Remember? Yeah. He's trying to find donkeys. Yeah. Well, it's that saying he ran, ran all over the country looking for the donkeys. Yeah, he went all over two two different countries looking for the donkeys. Uh, he was diligent. Uh, it wasn't that he was, you know, had it handed to him, but God saw in him promise. What else do we know positively uh, in the early days of Saul when he was being crowned king? What else do we know about him? He was called a prophet and he prophesied and sang and worshipped with the prophets. <coughs> and the scripture says, and when Samuel said, and when you do that, when you see the prophets coming down, you sing and praise, and another spirit is going to come upon you. You're going to be turned into another man. He started out great. Amen. A good heart. It seemed like he was his his will was lined up with God's will. You know, that he, he wanted to do the right things. And he, he was, uh, uh, in the early days, he was doing very positive things. God was blessing. And you remember what the turn was? What messed him up big time? Well, the fact that he kept running from. No, I'm sorry, I'm thinking something else. Okay. <laughs> There's swords over here. I'm thinking of David. Yeah. Yeah. Swords over here. Uh, you remember he was he was told to wait oh, to kill yeah. oh. to wipe out yeah. King Agag yeah. and the Amalekites. We've studied about this many, many times. And you say, well, why, why pick on them? Well, down the road, 
God knew that if they were dealt with then, they were going to destroy all of the people of Israel. So, in his foreknowledge, God said, I want you to don't, don't save anything, just remove it all, don't take any spoils, let the cattle be just slain and sacrificed. And uh, he said, are you clear? Yeah, I understand exactly what I'm supposed to do. Well, Samuel comes and he says, uh, did, you do, did, did you do what the Lord told you to do, O king? So, oh yeah. <laughs> On the other side of the hill, Samuel said, well, if that's the case, then what, why am I hearing cattle? Well, those people, the people of Israel, they decided they wanted to take the best stuff, and I said, what's the harm, you know? And at that point, because he decided that he wasn't going to be obedient to the Lord, the Lord says, okay, I was with you before this, but you've shown that you can't be trusted with success. Have you ever met people that Success didn't work well for them. <laughs> they uh, they couldn't handle it. You look at uh, like child stars that uh, came into excessive amounts of money and uh, fame. They couldn't handle it. You, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah I'm getting blank stares, but I'm used to, used to that. They say lottery. Lottery, lottery winners, a lot of times people get into situations and they can't handle the success. They, they can't deal with it. Uh, the, the tragic story of, that I've just lost her name, uh, Wizard of Oz, Judy Garland. Judy, what a tragedy. What a tragic story. I mean, the bright eyed singer. From the Wizard of Oz, everything is going her way. And she got into drugs, alcohol. Back in the day, where drugs were kind of a who knew? She was mainlining heroin. And it got to the place where uh, Johnny Carson had her on and had to shut the camera's off because she was just losing it on stage. Uh, tragedies. You know, all that talent, all that ability. You know, you look at some of the the song. Somewhere over the rainbow. Man, it's a great what a voice. And then she was in the the one uh, Christmas movie, the I feel like Meet Me in St. Louis. Uh, great songs. But even there, you can start seeing some of the the drugs hitting her in her ability to carry on conversations. Uh, Star is born. Yeah, Star, another one? Yeah. yeah. And uh, what I'm trying to suggest here is that 
handle the success. He didn't stay with what got him there. He thought, now I'm calling the shots. God said this, and he did not acknowledge that he had disobeyed God. He refused to repent. He passed the buck onto the people of Israel. Well, my soldiers, they're the ones to blame. No, God told you to oversee that. And you gave them permission. Well, no, it was their, their fault. He wouldn't accept responsibility, and the Lord says, okay, you're no longer king in my eyes. I'm going to raise up somebody else. And right after that is when Samuel went to anoint little David. And how far down did King Saul go after that? What are some of the bad things, the steps that he took that uh, distanced him from God? Okay, he kept it off by going to... He, he, he wanted to hear from God, but not really. He wanted to hear from Samuel. Uh, and so he went to a witch and shot her to death when <laughs> Samuel shows up. Right. I that wasn't me. I did. And uh, uh, he had gone so low that he's even consulting witches of the demonic. Uh, what else? Low spots of... Yeah. He would... Uh, David would spare him and he would, you know, acknowledge his wrongful doing and said he's going to stop and not pursue him any yeah. yeah, time after time after time and all David did was he was invited into the palace you remember? Mm-hmm. He was invited in <clears throat> you know, uh, I'm having some nightmares some bad dreams because uh, uh, the Spirit of the Lord left him uh, he was playing by his own rules and he says you know Come and play some songs and let me get that feeling back again. And, uh, and then he. Uh, so David's out there singing songs and playing the harp. Then the spear comes out. You know. Oh, uh, sorry, my bad. We wanted you to come over for supper, you know. And David, you know, can you imagine going to supper at Saul's house? After that first one, it happened several times. You remember? Yeah. It wasn't just once. Right. Every time he was showing up for supper, what what we having tonight? Meatloaf and David. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then he starts chasing him, chases him out of town. He has to leave town without even his sword. He's he kills the high priest because he thought the high priest helped him. But I didn't know anything about it. Just but you're dead. You know, killed him. And uh, basically desecrated the the the, the tabernacle, uh, chasing David down when David's hiding in the cave. You remember two different times. Yeah. And uh, he's all, "You're so much better than I am. I I, I won't hurt you anymore." Yeah. <laughs> he still has a price on his head. He he says. You know, because you you killed Goliath, uh, you can have my beautiful daughter, Mikkel. You can have my beautiful daughter as your wife. Well, then he went, he got jealous of David, 
And he went and he told his daughter, says, uh, let me know when he's back in town. I'm going to kill him. You know, and uh, so she hides him and he yells at his daughter. And then he says, oh, you're going to take David's side over me? I'm going to marry you off to somebody else. But I already have a husband anymore. I'm the king. And he, he, he took her and gave her to somebody else. He broke up the home. So, long spiral downward. And he comes to the, yeah. Didn't he get his other daughter? Didn't he have two daughters? The other one went to David. No, no. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. 
O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with luxury, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan was slain in your high places. I'm distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen, and the weapons of war perished. David, in the psalm there, says, Let no dew or any field grow, or trees grow, on the top of Mount Gilboa, as a memorial that every time people pass Mount Gilboa, they remember Saul, how the mighty had fallen. And to this day, there, the services uh, of the National Forestry Services, they mandate that the top of Gilboa be bare. No trees are allowed, no bushes are allowed to grow. Nothing is allowed to grow or take root up there, as you saw in the just a rocky crag. So that as you're passing by, you look up and you remember how the mighty have fallen. A continual memorial in stones on the top. There's no building up there. It's vacant. It's barren. At the base of Mount Gilboa, you can find some signs related to what happened there. But it was dictated by the, the when Israel was re reborn in 1948. It's when the Forestry Service started implementing Davidic rules over Mount Gilboa. I think it's way Now, did David have every reason to not want to remember Saul? But he chose to remember the good things. And that's a lesson there as well. If we're looking back on our lives and we only choose to remember the bad things, we're going to be a very unhappy person. Because every one of us has a whole bunch of bad stuff that's happened to us. And you can focus on it and become bitter, mean. But David is a good example here. I mean, he was hunted down. He was lied to. His wife was taken from him. He was chucking spears at him and all kinds of stuff. But he chose to remember the mighty had fallen. There's no warrior quite like them. They were faster than than, than lions. They they you know they were they were the mighty had fallen. The mighty had fallen. The, the story of Saul, the highs and the lows of it. Anything else that? It's a little bit like a, a young soldier. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, yeah. 
Yeah, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. <clears throat> it's very stark. Uh, if you've ever done a study of that, I would encourage you, if you have not done a study of the the regulations of the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier and the guards there, it's, it's phenomenal. Yeah. They number their steps and their significance behind each step and each turn and how that the people that are recruited for that particular detail it's the highest level of commitment in the services and uh, un unfathomable very stark how many of you have ever been to the tomb during the changing of the guard you know they don't need to tell you not not to talk. It's just unbelievable. Uh, a similar thing when, when I go to Israel and I go to the to Beit Shah, not Beit Shah too, but to the Holocaust Museum and the, the museum, the Holocaust Memorial of the children. 1.2 million children that were slaughtered by the Nazis. And you go inside and there's no, no photography, no, no speaking, but they didn't need to tell you because you walk in there and there's 1,200,000 1, points of light reflected off of prisons. And 24-7, a recording reads the name of a boy and then a girl that were killed by the Nazis. So a similar memorial for for King Saul and for Jonathan. And I, I just love it when we're traveling from the Galilee area and we're headed south to go to Jerusalem on the King's Highway. We always want to pull aside a little bit and see the top of Mount Gilboa and remember. Well, we're ready to launch into another aspect of Second Samuel coming up and all kinds of interesting things happening. Uh, anything else about tonight's lesson with Big Sean, with Mount Gilboa, the death of Saul and his sons? Any other thoughts that you have or something you just want to say? Yeah. Um, how come it's not suicide when Saul kills himself? You missed that. I, I, I don't get it. You, you know. Well, Were you out when we talked about we talked about that at length? I guess not. Okay. Let me give you the quick Reader's Digest version. Suicide. He was. His motivation was not do himself in, it was to keep from having the Philistines use him as a pawn and ploy to hold it over the people of Israel. The very same way that uh, a soldier in, in battle would throw himself on a grenade 
to protect their comrades in arms. Uh, the intent behind it, uh, and we see it in a variety of places in the scripture where that, you know, like was Esther on the verge of committing suicide when she knew that going into the king's chamber without an invitation and she adopted if I perish I perish it wasn't suicide but it was it could have cost her her life so the concept here is it wasn't that he had turned his hatreds inside his motivation was to not be a pawn in the hands of the Philistines for them to just take him city to city and torture him and further demean the people of Israel. But then he had lost his faith in John that time, right? Yeah, he, well, we don't yeah. know what it, we, we know that he had descended quite a ways. But we know God could have. He could have repented on, he could have called upon the name of the Lord on his deathbed. We don't know. Uh, that's, that's totally in God's turf. And I can't even venture a guess. But the capacity is there, uh, even at that point. And so his intention was not, well, I'm, you know, I'm having a bad day, I'm, you know, I'm depressed. I'm, it wasn't suicidal in that sense. It was, he was thinking of the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, and what would happen as a result of that. That, uh, it would be a, a tool in the in the force of the of the enemy. Uh, for, let me give one more illustration. There was a a double agent. He was an Israeli, but he lived in Syria. And I've lost his name right now. I'll I'll try and remember it before. But. Uh, They've written a book about him. They have a movie about him. He he became a double agent and was feeding information to uh, the Israelis about the troop movements and and the plans of uh, the Arab forces. And in the Six Day War is where he ultimately met his demise. He gave advice to the the Syrians. They said, you know, when they were going to go down and they were going to attack Israel. And they had all these plans. And so he said, you know, uh, let me go out with the troops and we've got to figure out, because the Golan Heights is very rugged. Uh, it's, it's a terrible place to try to fight a battle. And he says, and it's going to, in the time of year that we're going to be going, it's, it's very hot. And so what we want to do is we're going to go down and we're going to plant eucalyptus bushes that are quick growing that our troops can get shade underneath. And the high command of Syria said, oh, okay. And so they snuck down into the Golan Heights and they planted all these quick growing and fertilize these quick-growing eucalyptus bushes, which grow about 
this tall, and underneath it's just covered shade. Well, what he did was, after they were growing and planting, it was nearing the time of the attack. He got word on a on the radio to the Israeli forces. He says, when you're coming up to the Golan Heights, train your mortars on eucalyptus bushes. Oh, wow. Wiped out the entire advance army of the Syrians, bush by bush by bush. He knew that that was his death nail. They went to his home, pulled him out, shot him in the streets. But he gave his life for the cause. So, when you look technically at suicide, I guess technically it would be, but the motivation behind it is not the same. There's a difference as you see what he was trying to avoid happening. Okay. Yeah. There was somebody that uh, went on the cross who could have brought down legions of angels and saved yeah. himself. Yeah. But yet he let himself be tortured and killed. For he all came to die. He came to die. And it's not suicide. He was saving everybody. He gave his life for all of us. No one takes my life from me. I give it. I lay it down. Different perspective. Uh, technically, I guess it would be considered that, but not really. So was suicide looked down upon, though? Oh, yeah. You know, you're not supposed to take... Your last official act is to take a life. Yeah. You know. It's, it's, it's one of those things where... <coughs> Over the years, I've had people say, "Well, does that is, can that person be saved?" That's not that's in God's hands. I I had to wrap that up and put it in His hands. Suicide is a uh, for many people. They're not really in their right mind. Right. They turn <clears throat> hatred inside or or whatever. So man looks on the outward appearance. God sees the heart and knows what's going on. I mean, we have so many of these uh, situations right now where the up at Michigan State, you have the guy goes in and kills some people, then he kills himself. Yeah. That's not... It doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize something's wrong upstairs. Right? Had mental health issues. <laughs> yeah. Really. I, there's some mental health issues there. And the Lord understands those things. He knows... He knows our frame. He knows what's going on. So uh, it's not a it's not a uh, something that is endorsed in the Bible, of course. But the Lord also knows what's going on in the heart and mind of an individual. Right. Yeah. That guy killed himself after he killed all the people. It's not because of mental health. It's because he knew what he was going to have to go through if he got caught. Well, that's your assumption. I, I think he was crazy as a little. He was probably impressed by the demonic. Yeah. They had a lot to do with 
Yeah, the, the demonic forces are behind a lot of things like that, where they're hearing voices, being told to do things. But we're going to want, we're going to, past time, we're, we're going to wind up our study of First Samuel. Give yourself a round of applause. You successfully made this book of the Old Testament. It took us a while, but hey, there you go. Don't fall on your sword tonight. Okay. Uh, let's go to prayer. Uh, we want to. Do you have any update from Dave, or is my update the update that we have? Yeah. Okay. Dave had to have another procedure done today. You want to pray for David, not only for his healing, but that Brenda calms down before she gets to him, because he didn't tell her. Yeah, huh? I can't hear you. I got a call from Dave. My phone ran off and that's okay. And he requested prayer. Okay. Uh, he's had a buildup of fluid on his spine and uh, it's causing some difficulties and they had to go back in uh, to remove that fluid. And uh, as, as Brenda mentioned, from the ICU to the doghouse in one quick step. <laughs> He called me this morning and told me this. I said, Dave, that's not a good idea. He says, well, I don't want her to worry. Oh, that'll help. That, that'll make it. You're not worried now, are you? Yeah. <laughs> we should have known when he says, well, I thought that they're there. But we want to pray for Dave. Pray he's still on pain meds. Maybe he wasn't thinking. Yeah, he wasn't thinking. <laughs> <laughs> you want to take the sword? <laughs> or the mallet? <laughs> yeah, or the mallet. Either one. We want to pray for Dave and his recovery. Uh, the Sarah family. Uh, and uh, May's home going to heaven. Yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm jealous of all these revivals going on.
and uh, they're experiencing the same. My brother was just down there. It's the same type of feel. It's not anybody preaching. It's not. Uh, it's just the Holy Spirit moving and touching hearts and, and lives. So you know, we want to to pray for people to keep their grubby little hands right. off of what God's doing yeah. and seek Him. Seek Him. Yeah. <laughs> Do we need to pray for Kim and Joanne? <laughs> I think we might. I think I, yeah. We'll go down there and find them tied up or something. <laughs> yes? I have a neighbor of mine stopped me as I was leaving tonight and asked me to um, ask for prayer for his son. He said he had a level one heart attack. Mm-hmm. And also for my cousin, Pam, she lost her husband a month ago. She lost her oldest son three weeks ago. And yesterday she lost her young son. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she's needing a lot, a lot of prayer right now. And he didn't have any insurance. So she started up, they started a GoFundMe for How many of you have loved ones that are not in the safety of God's salvation yet? Yes. And unspoken request situations that don't need anybody else in them, but, but God's touch. Well, let's go to prayer. Could we have a few lead us out in prayer tonight? And ask God's touch. <laughs>
And Father God, for these prayer requests that are lifted up tonight, we pray for David right now. We ask, Father, for you to use the, the doctors and their procedures, but Father, over and above that, we ask that Dr. Jesus would step into the room and touch him. And Father God, we, we pray for Brenda and all the weight that's upon her from this. We pray for your strength and encouragement during this time. We ask, Father, for Vicki's the neighbor and the heart condition and the individuals with the the that have suffered all these losses back to back to back to back. Father God, that you would step in and draw close closer to them than you've ever been before. That they would call upon you, mighty God. We pray, Father, that you would help us as we study your word to gain strength. And just like David, help us to view the things that have happened in our past through a gaze that we we don't focus in on all the bad, but we see the good things that you have done. And the blessings. And the special things. And the way that you've been with us and been faithful to us. We know that the enemy of our soul would have us focus upon the down times and the bad times. But Father, just like just like David, you focused on the good things that Saul had done and the good things that David, his best friend, had done. We pray, Father, that you would help us to come across the path of somebody that needs a word like that, that needs encouragement along those lines. And we pray, Father, you'd give us a word in season to share with someone in the closing days of this week. We thank you for your many blessings, and we thank you for your tender mercies. Help us never to take your mercy for granted. We ask, Father God, that you would reach out to our, our loved ones that are not in the safety of your salvation, and that you would do what is necessary to get their attention, to remind them of their need of a Savior, to put them in situations where they call upon the name of the Lord. Father, we think of that jailer in the Philippian jail that you know nobody really witness to him. But he found out how to be saved from a voice from the bottom of the prison. What must I do to be saved? Father God, touch lives tonight. Use us to touch lives tomorrow as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I would remind